This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Backtracking on the Royal BC Museum. And we thought we had it right. Clearly... We did not. Why the government is pausing plans for a billion-dollar rebuild. Inflation worries. Well, this is a marathon. Absolutely. Soaring prices hit people right in the pocketbook, knowing their salaries can't keep up. And decades of new developments. It's not a matter of if we do it, it's how we do it. The future of the Broadway corridor hangs in the balance with a big vote tonight. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The provincial government is backtracking big time on its plan to rebuild the Royal BC Museum, putting it on hold indefinitely. Premier John Horgan admitting today his government got it wrong with little support from the public for the nearly $800 million project. Richard Zussman has the announcement and reaction. A mammoth change of course. It's my responsibility to say to you today that I made the wrong call. Premier John Horgan trying to put in the past the huge public backlash on how much is being spent to reflect on BC's past. The province announcing the $789 million teardown and rebuild of this building is being stopped. I made a call at a time when British Columbians were talking and thinking about other concerns primary care for their families, education, the cost of living. The museum will no longer close in September and the Royal BC staff will look to fill the current empty spaces. The consultation will start to assess what a new museum may look like. It may well be that this plan is the one that the public says, yes, that's the best way forward. But we now have an opportunity when the heightened awareness of, first of all, the importance of the museum. What concerns me is he has not ruled out them moving forward with the exact same plan and indeed he ruled out a renovation of the existing building. The public's heightened awareness was not good. A recent poll found that nearly 70% of British Columbians were opposed to ripping down this building and rebuilding a brand new museum. This does not strike me as a leadership moment as one might think because this is directly the result of a bad poll that showed that the vast majority of British Columbians thought this was a really crazy idea. And what the Premier has done is now pass the buck to the board. The province also needs to get Indigenous communities on board who are already raising concerns about their treasured items being on display behind glass and not in their communities. It's also still unclear how long the board will have to consult with the public as well as make the final decision. The thing that I believe is needed is for the museum to take its time to put together a proper vision for the new museum. As Green MLA Adam Olson put it, 
all of this makes it a saga continuing to be exhibition worthy. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. The NDP took some big time heat for that original museum announcement, Keith. Uh, but the premier obviously trying to mitigate the political mm-hmm. damage today. And he did three key things to do that. Yeah, and it's actually a very important day for John Horgan. So first of all, he got rid of the biggest controversy to hit the negative controversy to hit the NDP since taking power in 2017. He also took personal ownership. He said the buck stops with me. Uh, the public loves that. They love to see public uh, political leaders take responsibility for something they did wrong, admit a mistake, and to move on. Uh, and finally, the, he's taken away the biggest weapon from the BC Liberal arsenal. They were using this to bash the NDP over the head in the final weeks of the session. We're looking forward to to continue to do that in the fall session. They can't do that anymore. This issue's gone. As a result, I think John Horgan's approval rating, if a poll was taken tomorrow, probably would go up at least five points. Okay, so with this problem taken off the province's plate, Keith, uh, what could the opposition uh, take aim at them for? Well, I asked the Premier today, I said, okay, you put, a, you put the pin back in the grenade on this one, but another grenade has landed on your plate today, and that is the strike vote results from the B.C. Government Employees Union. 95% strike vote. That's a very hefty, strong mandate for the BCGU negotiators. We caught up with BCGU President Stephanie Smith, who points out when inflation's at 7.7%, that issue's on the table like never before. What we're asking for in this round of bargaining really is to address rising cost of living. I mean, today we just heard that rates of inflation are 7.7%. I don't have to tell anyone how expensive it is becoming. And so our members who work in the public service, who really got through our province through the pandemic over the last two years, they want to see their contribution reflected in this agreement. So no sooner had the BCGU completed counting their strike vote than the employer phoned and said, okay, let's get back to the table on Monday. They've been at an impasse for weeks not talking to you. They're back at the table on Monday, but I think the Horgan government is going to discover it's going to be a lot harder to resolve those contracts with four, almost 400,000 public sector employees at a time when inflation is approaching 8%. A lot tougher to reach deals there than simply cancelling a billion-dollar museum project. All right, thanks for that, Keith. And as indicated in that story, the cost of living just keeps going up. Canada's inflation rate soaring to a nearly 40-year high, pushing even higher than economists had predicted. Aaron MacArthur reports on what's driving the increase and how it has many Canadians worried about feeding their families. We could put those um, pads on the bottom of these legs. And- Supply chain issues and price pressures have made selling new furniture challenging. Wholesalers can change the price of pieces three times in a year just to keep up. Champagne Taste in New Westminster has found ways to appeal to value-conscious consumers, consigned furniture now making up 75% of the showroom. The sticker shock experienced in most traditional retail stores is coupled with a lot of nice surprises here. And we offer great value on things that still have a long life left. Inflation in Canada continues to rise at record levels. The Consumer Price Index puts the annual increase at 7.7% in May. British Columbia's rate has gone up from 6.7% in April to 8.1% last month. The individual components of the CPI are numbers that people haven't seen in 40 years. The price is rising so rapidly, 6 in 10 Canadians are worried about the ability to feed their families. 
Well, this is a marathon, absolutely. And uh, if you're expecting food prices to drop anytime soon, you're, you're just kidding yourself. It's not going to happen. The instability is creating havoc with Canadian businesses. According to the Vancouver Board of Trade, 35% of owners feel they're worse off than in 2019. 37% will have to raise prices. And a third don't think they can afford to take on more debt to bridge through the upcoming recession. At a rise in costs, supply chain issues, labor shortages. I mean, it's a lot to unpack, but certainly there are a lot of headwinds for, for businesses right now. There are signs inflation might be slowing. And three consecutive rate hikes from the Bank of Canada has crushed the housing market. Experts believe prices will stabilize by the third quarter of this year. Little comfort for workers watching the price of everything spiral away from their salaries. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The Broadway plan is back before Vancouver City Council today. One of the most ambitious and divisive proposals in city history with a lot of discussion about amendments and in theory, possibly a vote to transform the corridor over the next 30 years. Ahmad Agahi has been watching the proceedings. And Ahmad, this has been going on for weeks. Hundreds of people have spoken. Where are we at right now? Well, still no vote, Chris. And I think anyone that was optimistic that this would see a conclusion today was humbled when they saw just the amount of work that still needs to be done to fine-tune this Broadway plan to the Vancouver City Council's liking before it can potentially be approved in some shape or another. So the discussions continue into the later hours of this evening. Now, this is the sixth day uh, over a period of about six weeks dedicated to discussion on Vancouver's Broadway plan. This, of course, the official city plan that will map the redevelopment of the Broadway corridor into what is famously being called Vancouver's second downtown. This would be, of course, a, a complement to the Broadway extension uh, of the Millennium Line to Arbutus with new housing jobs and amenities. Now, Council, as you mentioned, has heard from more than 100 speakers and right now is in the amendment phase uh, where councillors each propose changes. Much of today's focus has been on uh, suggestions that the city explore vacancy controls in the corridor so that the rentals can remain affordable once they are built. But overall, it does appear that the majority of councillors are eager to approve this plan. They just wanted to get, to get it right, seemingly, no matter how long it takes. Because the subway is actively being built right now and we're expecting completion fairly soon, the absence of a plan is not an option because the subway will drive a significant amount of speculation and development pressure on the area, so we need some kind of plan. And the devil's in the details, and that's what we're trying to iron out tonight, uh, today. This is how uh, at odds this council is. Just before the break tonight, there was an amendment by Councillor Colleen Hardwick that uh, wanted to refer this entire thing back to staff and come back to it once a new council is elected after the municipal election. That was shot down. So uh, now we have uh, about more than a dozen amendments to go, and this vote uh, could go into uh, evening hours, maybe even past 10 p.m. Well, if it happens at all today, Ahmad, thank you very much for that. That's Ahmad Agahi reporting live in Vancouver for us. And protesters in opposition of the so-called daily sweeps in the downtown east side turned violent outside Vancouver City Hall this afternoon. A glass door at the front of the building was broken and one person was arrested for breaking a window. In a tweet, City Councilor Melissa DiGenova says the protesters chanted, Stop the sweeps! and put others in unsafe situations, although she didn't elaborate on what those unsafe situations were. 
Demonstrators say the sweeps unfairly target the region's homeless. City staff, with support from police, regularly patrol the downtown east side, gathering items from sidewalks and removing them. The city says staff are only trained to take abandoned items. A rally was held in Kitsilano today to oppose a planned 13-story social housing building. Area residents and businesses say they're not against social housing, but object to the scale of the project being built on the vacant lot on Arbuta Street. The proposal is to have half of the 129 units rented by people who make less than $30,000 a year, and the other half for people with incomes below $15,000 a year with embedded support services. Area residents say many of the those who will be living in the building will have complex needs and say there are no guarantees services will be provided for them. Congregate housing is a failed model for individuals who suffer from mental health, homelessness and addiction issues. They're far better off and they have better outcomes integrating into society if a more dispersed model is used so smaller numbers of individuals are placed in multiple buildings. Generally we find uh, after they've been open for a few months and, and things settled out at the site that um, people don't notice uh, the buildings. They, they really blend in nicely and uh, there are obviously some exceptions to that but uh, those are particularly hard to house populations and not the kind of population that's targeted for this building. Rents would range from $375 to just over $700 a month. The city is holding a public hearing on the rezoning application on June 28th. Some advice for smooth summer travel and what to do if your trip goes off the rails. Consumer Matters has the latest on some new protections for air passengers and why some say the new rules still don't go far enough. That's next on the News Hour. Staking claim to a pristine part of the BC coast. The coastal First Nation taking control of protection with no apologies to anyone. Later. And soothing the savage traveler. How Chester the airport dog is keeping people calm in Kelowna coming up later. Right now, though, with the school year coming to an end, many Canadians are preparing for summer travel plans. Delays at airports across the country are frustrating for passengers, but as Global's Kyle Benning explains, there are some things you can do to make sure you're prepared for travel in this new normal. The lines at Toronto's Pearson Airport can be frustrating. With relaxed travel restrictions and children starting summer holidays, those lines aren't expected to get any shorter. Ultimately, you have to be ready for any outcome. The Mom. airports have been really Mom. chaotic, and so I've always been afraid that I'll end up there with no clothes. This organization, I guess, and I don't know if that's more so the airport's fault, is lack of resources. I went online and Googled all the information to travel to Canada, and I followed all the, the instructions. Travel experts say anyone catching a flight has to change their mindset because it isn't the same as pre-pandemic. It takes longer than it normally does. And if you show up with the mindset of 2019 or prior to that, it, you know, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. There are a number of things agents advise people to consider in the lead up to a flight. Passport offices across the country have seen massive lines as people look to renew expiring documents. So make sure all of your paperwork is up to date. And when booking flights, look for off-peak days and departure times. Traveling midweek, traveling kind of at odd or off-peak hours are getting through the airports faster than those that are traveling on peak hours. Given the number of cancelled flights, paying for insurance could also help ease frustration post-vacation. 
Once you're at the airport, knowing the rules and being prepared could put your mind at ease. Airport authorities suggest arriving at the airport two hours before domestic flights and three hours before international flights. Checking in online and organizing car parking in advance can also ease last-minute stress. The Canadian Air Transport Security Authority is asking people to know what they can and cannot carry through security. This, for example, it's a belt buckle. So you would think, you know, it's, it's not a big deal, but because of the, the bullets here, it won't be permitted uh, in your carry-on. She says this can save time getting through those lines. Travel agents also remind people to know the public health rules of the region they're flying to and suggest having some leeway in case of delays. Kyle Benning, Global News. And just in time, if you're planning to travel, new federal airfare refund rules are coming into effect. It's in response to how airlines dealt with passenger refunds during the height of the pandemic when thousands of flights were cancelled. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on what this means for passengers. And Thanks, Sophie. Ottawa is updating its air passenger protection regulations in response to the refund controversy that was experienced by many passengers during the height of the pandemic. The rules are intended to help Canadians with cancelled or delayed flights. According to the Canadian Transportation Agency, the new requirements will require airlines to provide a passenger affected by a cancellation or a lengthy delay due to a situation outside the airline's control with a confirmed rebooking on an alternate flight or a refund. If the airline cannot provide a confirmed reservation within a 48-hour period, it will be required to provide at the passenger's choice a refund or rebooking. Now, pre- Previously, the air passenger rights protection regulations required refunds to be provided for flight disruptions within the airline's control. Also under the new rules, airlines must provide a refund within 30 days and in the original form of payment. Still, critics argue passengers should be entitled to a refund immediately. No questions asked if the airline cancels your flight for any reason. The regulations are a sham. They create the false impression that there is anything improved, but in reality, it makes things worse. Just think of a passenger who is flying out on a Friday, the flight gets canceled for a storm, and then the airline is telling them, here's a new flight for Sunday. By that day, the passenger would normally be back because they have to work on the Monday. 48 hours as a window for rebooking passengers is unreasonable. The very least that passengers should be offered, regardless of why flight is canceled, is the right to a refund. Being able to walk away from a flight you don't want anymore because of the cancellation, that you cannot use because of the cancellation, is a bare minimum of consumer rights that in Western countries passengers have. Now, the new requirements will apply to all flights to, from, and within Canada, including connecting flights. The regulation changes come into effect on September 8th. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Summer heat is finally set to arrive later this week on the South Coast and will continue through the weekend. The B.C. Centre for Disease Control says it won't be as hot as last year's heat dome, but the sudden rise in temperature might still catch some people off guard. It's advising people to take precautions in the heat and make sure you check on those who might be more vulnerable. Some people are more susceptible to having health effects from any hot weather when it occurs. We definitely want to be checking in on people with those types of conditions to make sure that they're cool enough in their homes and that they're coping okay. 
Environment and Climate Change Canada is also warning that although the air will be much warmer, bodies of water are still going to be cold. People are being told to be mindful of how long they're staying in the water, as long periods of time can create a hypothermia risk. And meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now uh, with more. Christy, we're keeping an eye on high water levels with the melt that's going to happen in these warmer temperatures, but the heat itself won't be anything like we saw last year at this time. That's right. I mean, it definitely is something we need to take seriously, Chris, because we haven't seen this heat so far this year. But by comparison, it's nowhere near that heat dome we saw last year. Here's a look at the numbers. So at the peak of the heat last year, Lytton hit 49.6 degrees and the overnight lows were around 22 This year, we're going to see highs of about 34 degrees with overnight lows down to 15. So with that 15 degrees, you get the relief from the heat at night. And that's essential for keeping us safe. Uh, Inland Metro Vancouver also 10 degrees lower than what we saw last year. And it won't last as long. Last time we saw heat for about 8 to 10 days, whereas this time we're talking about 4 to 6. Here's a look at the trend. So it's going to start to pick up tomorrow. Uh, We are going to see the peak of the heat over the weekend. Two hottest days for here and the inland sections. We're talking about 31 degrees Sunday and Monday. When I come back, we'll also have a look at the interior temperatures. They will be a bit hotter and we'll have a look at which areas of the BC River Forecast Center have increased uh, to now a flood warning. Chris, back to you. Summer's here for sure. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Just ahead, more drama at the trial of a man accused of extortion and harassment of teenager Amanda Todd. How the defense is targeting investigators and the evidence they found. And a rock-solid idea to improve how we build things in Canada and cut carbon emissions at the same time. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a three-car crash here in Surrey. Eastbound 72nd Avenue near 126th Street. The right and center lanes are blocked. It's causing just a bit of a delay. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. Hive of a crash in Surrey. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. A tragic update now in the search for a missing teenager from Coquitlam. Noelle Ellie Osoup was reported missing in May of last year. Vancouver police confirm her remains were found in an apartment building on the downtown east side on May 1st of this year. The BC Coroner Service and the VPD are investigating the cause and circumstances of Osoup's death. Anyone with information is asked to call the VPD's major crime section. The trial of the Dutch man accused of harassing BC teenager Amanda Todd online before she took her own life 10 years ago has heard a defense lawyer question the actions of investigators in the Netherlands. Romina Dea has the details. Dutch police officer Inspector Carolina van Sway was part of the special ops team which entered Bungalow 55 secretly to return two hard drives which were removed by police and copied in December 2013, about a month before 44-year-old Aidan Coban was arrested defense questioning why the covert team stayed in the bungalow for almost four hours after the supervising judge officially closed the search. Van Sway told the jury she could not divulge details of the covert operation, but under redirect, she testified supervision was not required. 
because an order by the public prosecutor was in place. In previous testimony, we heard police secretly installed microphones and software to log a user's keystrokes. Dutch digital detective Frank Vandermolen, who works with the child exploitation team, agreed with defense that an encrypted hard drive was empty and another one hadn't been used for three years. The officer had analyzed many different accounts, the name Amanda Todd appearing several times. Vandermolen told the jury he doesn't know if one or more users were behind the accounts. Crown is trying to prove only one person, Coban, was behind 22 fake online accounts used to sexually blackmail 15-year-old Amanda Todd. Coban has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Romina Dea, Global News. The appeal hearing continued for Andrew Berry today with a focus on statements the Oak Bay man made after his two young daughters were found stabbed to death in his home on Christmas Day five years ago. Grace Key was in the courtroom today and has more on the case. Well, today we did hear from Crown, and one of the arguments deals with some comments that Andrew Berry made, such as kill me and leave me alone when firefighters and paramedics arrived to treat him at his Oak Bay apartment. Now, Berry's lawyer is saying those statements should not have been entered at trial, arguing the first responders could have been viewed as persons of authority. Crown saying the trial judge found no evidence that Berry confused the paramedics with police. He was not under arrest, and they were strictly offering medical care. Crown added the comments were made voluntarily. Barry's lawyer is also taking aim at statements Barry made while in hospital to a sister who is a police officer. Crown says the trial judge found no evidence that the sister's visit to the hospital was as a person of authority and she was not tasked with the investigation. Andrew Barry was found guilty of second-degree murder in the deaths of his two daughters, six-year-old Chloe and four-year-old Aubrey. They were stabbed to death on Christmas Day 2017 at Barry's Oak Bay apartment. Barry was found in the bathtub with stab wounds. He was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 22 years. Four days have been set aside for the hearing. It wraps up on Thursday. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, the building blocks of cleaner construction. How researchers are searching for concrete solutions to lessen the carbon footprint of a key building material. Plus, Trans Mountain Trouble, the new report showing pipeline profits may be just a pipe dream. Extra busy for westbound traffic on the east-west connector through Richmond this evening. There is what's left of a two-car crash, just one vehicle left uh, westbound on the east-west connector just before Nelson in the left lane. Traffic is backed up from Westminster Highway. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $6 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on the east-west connector. Canada's parliamentary budget officer says the controversial Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion will be a money loser for the federal government. New numbers show the pipeline, which is being built to move Alberta oil to B.C., is now worth about $1.2 billion less than the last estimate done in December of 2020. The analysis is based on the latest cost estimate for the project, which has climbed to more than $21 billion, nearly doubling earlier estimates. The federal government, though, says two independent analyses have found the project remains commercially viable. 
Well, it's a lesser known pollutant that has a large footprint, reinforced concrete. Common construction material accounts for almost 10 percent of global carbon dioxide emissions. And now researchers at Queen's University are teaming up with the city and industry partners to find a cleaner way to use the material. Global Saren Strickland reports. It's used in our roads, bridges, and other infrastructure around the globe. Reinforced concrete, a combination of concrete and steel, is a major polluter and accounts for 10% of the world's carbon emissions, far exceeding the 2% produced by the airline industry. Where all the CO2 comes from is the processes of turning them from uh, naturally occurring rock and naturally occurring iron into concrete and steel. That's without mentioning the emissions that are produced by mining those materials. With cities like Kingston creating more buildings like high-rise apartments, researchers at Queen's University say protecting the environment against global warming is urgent. Professors Neil Holt and Josh Woods, along with their graduate students, began researching how the construction industry could cut those emissions at the beginning of the year, taking two main approaches. The first is to find a way to design structures to use less concrete, and the second is functionally grading the concrete. Where we actually put the strong concrete where we need it, and strong usually equates to more cement and therefore more CO2, And then where we don't need that strength, we can use much lower cement concretes, which means we can, again, drive the CO2 down. While research is happening in the Queen's civil engineering labs, it will move into the real world with help from the city. An actual structure with low environmental impact will be designed and built at the Kingston Fire and Rescue Training Center. We feel that, uh, you know, what we're going to learn here today, or today, through this uh, program, Um, with Queen's uh, will help us in the future and will help probably um, a lot of other projects uh, nationally and internationally also. The team at Queen's hopes the demonstration structure will be used as a classroom and a living lab to educate students on low carbon structures. They hope to start building the demonstration structure next summer. Aaron Strickland, Global News, Kingston. A new survey shows healthcare continues to be one of the biggest issues for Canadians, and most are not happy with their provincial government. The Angus Reid poll found overall 72% of Canadians say their province's handling of healthcare is poor or very poor. Only 25% feel their province is doing a good job, the lowest approval record in eight years. Only slightly above average in BC, with 70% saying the provincial government is doing a poor or very poor job, while only 27% say the province is doing well. The poll also found health care is still the second most important issue for most Canadians, behind only the cost of living and inflation and ahead of housing affordability. Coming up, protecting a precious piece of the central coast. Someone has to do something, and we're in the best position to do that. How a local First Nation is taking matters into its own hands. And later in sports, the all-star tennis event coming to Vancouver. A First Nation on BC's Central Coast is taking conservation back into its own hands by establishing a marine protected area which members will patrol by boat. The nation says it's been trying to collaborate with the federal and provincial governments to stop illegal fishing for years. But as John Waugh shows us, It's tired of waiting and plans to protect its resources and territory on its own terms. They have local knowledge established over thousands of years. The resources and drive to take immediate action. 
the Kitasu Hey Haste Nation says it doesn't have is time. Kitasu Bay is basically the breadbasket for the community. If we just continue to leave it open and people continue to take at these unsustainable levels, um, there'll be nothing left. The coastal nation declaring the 33 and a half square kilometer area about 500 clicks north of Vancouver, the Gidishju Layaks Marine Protected Area under its own laws. Despite bordering the existing Kitasu Spirit Bear Conservancy, Chief Nieslaw says the water has been left forgotten for too long. We've been extremely frustrated. We've been working with uh, the federal and provincial governments now for a better part of 17 years. While land conservation is often co-managed with the province and the ocean falls under federal jurisdiction, the Kudusu Heihase Nation is making it clear it's not asking for permission. We just watched so many resources decline over the years, and so someone needs to make a move, and uh, we're happy to be the first. Global News contacted Fisheries and Oceans Canada and asked whether the federal government would respect and support this decision. But we were told comment could not be provided by deadline. This is a perfect example of reconciliation. Uh, like I said, there is no designation of marine protected area that really allow for our laws to be included. Chief Nieslaw says a lot of work was done to make this management plan transparent and open to partnerships. My community, they said, make sure that you there's space for commercial fishermen, for recreational fishermen, for food fishermen, for conservation. Uh, there's people out there trying to make a living, and we understand that. The nation understands this precedent-setting claim over Kitasu Bay might make waves and hopes it inspires a conservation movement that washes over BC's coast. John Hua, Global News. What a beautiful spot. Mm. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at this change in the weather. And, uh, you know, it's great to see the sunshine and see the higher temperatures, Christy, but that comes with a risk, of course, as well. Yeah, I mean, it's great news for so many people that have been waiting for summer to happen, and it's finally here. But it really is important that everyone realizes that this is a big surge in heat. We're talking about a jump of 10 degrees, and we haven't experienced that. So make sure you're checking on everyone, and we're talking about flood conditions. Quickly, here's the timeline once again. So this is for coastal regions away from the water. We're talking about a surge over the weekend, two hottest days being Sunday, Monday, where we're talking about low 30s. Now, also, temperatures at night will drop down to 15 degrees. So we will get some relief at night. Those of you in the Thompson Okanagan, another area we're really watching, Sunday, 32 degrees, Monday, 34. And we'll be tracking these numbers as we get into the next couple of days because they could fluctuate a bit. But that's the type of heat we're talking about. And again, at night, you're talking about uh, temperatures down to 15. Good time to remind you, pets, kids never should be left inside a car, especially in this type of heat. At 30 degrees in just 10 minutes, it can climb to 42. And then another 10 minutes, we're talking about 51 degrees. So exceptionally hot. Now, that's the long term. But in the short term, we're still dealing with heavy rain at times. We've had 20 to 50 millimeters of rain in the Caribou, that North Thompson, North Columbia region, and it will last into tomorrow morning. So the BC River Forecast Center has upgraded the Quinell River and the Blue River just today because of that rainfall. So Quinell River, Blue River, that means flooding is imminent in those areas, whereas the area in orange is just a watch. We're watching to see if those will have the potential for flooding. 
but there is that the ingredients in the forecast for that potential. Again, there's your Thursday. We're just looking at the start of the heat tomorrow, and then it will surge Friday and especially over the weekend. So highs away from the water for Metro Vancouver, 22, but over the weekend, 31 degrees Sunday and Monday. So make sure you're prepared and checking on anyone vulnerable and enjoy that heat, everyone. Uh, looking at Bowen Island tonight from Rafael. Thank you so much. That's your central windows weather window with a beautiful sunset from last night. Lovely Thank flowers. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Christy. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. Squire? Well, we're on a bit of a roll here uh, this week. Canadian Track and Field Championships in Langley. They'll also be here next year. Of course, we know the World Cup is coming to our city in 2026. Invictus Games is coming in 2025. And today, a big announcement for a tennis event, which is coming to Vancouver next year. We'll tell you all about it. Very exciting. Cool. Also coming up, airport ambassadogs. Oh, I like what you did there. <laughs> the comforting pups putting nervous flyers at ease. All right, Squire? Yes. Nice night for a little soccer. Yes, it is a nice night for soccer. So they shall play soccer on this night. <laughs> the Vancouver Whitecaps said yesterday they are very serious about this Canadian Championship semifinal they have this evening at BC Place against York United, which is from the Canadian Premier League. Now, because the Whitecaps are in a higher league and they also are at home, they do have some built-in advantages going into this one, but... They won't take chances. They'll start all three of their designated players. Lucas Cavallini will be out there. Ryan Gold, Andres Kubas. Um, trying to get to the final in this event for the first time since 2018. Kubas, incidentally, had a very strong game in the Caps' last outing. Okay, very big news for local tennis fans. It was announced this morning that the Rod Laver Cup is coming to Rogers Arena next year. Now, the Rod Laver Cup is a three-day event. It's kind of like the Ryder Cup of men's tennis, which means a lot of the biggest names in the world will be here. The event has six European players against six players from the rest of the world. And three of the six are based on world rankings. The other three are captain's picks. And the captains, ever since the first Laver Cup in 2017, have been Bjorn Borg for Europe and John McEnroe for the world. This event was mostly conceived by Roger Federer. It's an all-star weekend, but with intensity. Once a tennis player shows up, he always wants to win. Oh, that's what these fans are coming to see. Unbelievable tennis by some of the best players of all time. Three days, five sessions, the past, the present, and the future, playing against each other, but also being on the same team. The idea was initially to bring it to places that doesn't see so much tennis, and I think we were able to do that. Once again, Team Europe champions that'll be very cool if a lot of those big name players are here uh the vancouver canucks have announced there will be a young stars round robin tournament from september 16th to 19th in penticton this year the uh, tournament is one we haven't seen in a while in fact it'll be the first one since 2018 it'll include prospects from the canucks the flames the oilers and the jets and for vancouver this is always a great way to introduce their young players to what it's like to be a canuck most of them are all going to be going to the NHL training camp uh, of the Vancouver Canucks the following week in Whistler. 
So it gives them that ice opportunity. It gets them to and understanding the training that we want them off the ice. So there's a, numerous things that go on with it, but it's, it's a little camp for our young prospects for every team. Nazem Kadri is back for the uh, Colorado Avalanche. And as you can see, Nikita Kucherov who, lost, Kucherov, make that, who left in the third period of game number three, he's back. Whoa, no mask for Darcy Camper, but that goal still counts. By Anthony Sorelli in the first minute of game number four. So that makes it one nothing for the Lightning after one period. Second period, Colorado's on the power play and they've been deadly on the power play. Nathan McKinnon, this one goes off his skate and then off the skate of Andre Vasilevsky's and slowly trickles over the line. So McKinnon ties at 1-1. However, look at this goal by Victor Hedman. Oh, oh, beautiful. Showing up Kale McCarr a little bit there. I know McCarr's a Norris Trophy winner, but Hedman can play the game as well, as we know. Uh, the BC Lions have had a lot of time to think about that great game they had on opening night when they bagged the Elks and scored 59 points. There was nothing in that game that went wrong for BC. Pre-game festivities were even great. The game itself saw the Lions score 42 in the first half, but Rick Campbell was happy his team did not take its foot off the gas in the second half, as sometimes can happen. But he also says with Toronto coming into BC place on Saturday, don't expect another blowout again. He would love it, of course, but it's more likely to be a close game. Those games are anomalies in pro sports. They happen once in a while, but obviously we know that that's not typical. I think the, the game got away from them a little bit, but our guys, I give our guys credit because they kept playing and kept showing up and did it for four quarters. And um, we understand, obviously, that every game's not going to be that way, but I like our team to be, uh, to be confident, not comfortable, but confident. And we know most games that we play this year are going to be close and going to be tough, and that's what we're expecting uh, Saturday. And the BC Lions will have a new president next year with uh, Dwayne Veneau, who was working for the CFL as a whole. He's also worked at the team level as well before. He will take over the position officially next year when Rick Lachlashur retires, but he will be around in August. He is keen to help the Lions increase their position in the market, get fans back in the stadium. It was a good start on opening night with the pregame concert, and he feels that that was a smart move because just winning games is not always enough to get fans in. There's lots of ways to, to, to increase attendance, but you know, uh, again, coming back to Amar's plan, he wants to really become grassroots. He wants to, you know, have every, you know, every boy and girl in this province wearing orange. He wants to um, take all the, you know, make every game an event and make it more than just a football game and attract new fans and new audiences. And, and that's something that I have experience with, so I'm looking forward to that piece. And getting back to hockey, Paul Maurice, formerly of the Winnipeg Jets, he quit. As coach of the Jets will now coach the Florida Panthers, signed a three-year deal. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Okay. Up next, when it isn't easy to get, to get through the airport, there's a pop to put you at ease. The Ambassadogs of Kelowna, next. Sarah McDonald is standing by with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Sarah. Chris, we now know the identity of the young man killed in a hit and run in Kitsilano on Sunday. We will have full details tonight. Plus, reaction to the Broadway plan vote, which we expect to happen tonight at Vancouver City Hall. Will it or won't it finally happen? We'll have a full report either way. And Squire joins us with highlights from Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals. That's all coming up at 11. Chris. Sounds good. Thank you, Sarah.
Well, Kelowna International Airport is hoping to improve the experience of travelers and relieve anxiety often associated with flying. Might be worse these days. As Jasmine King tells us, they've brought in some furry friends with a positive attitude to get the job done. Oh, hello, sweeties. If you're visiting the Kelowna International Airport, you could be greeted by a four-legged friend. This is like the third set of dogs I've loved in the last five minutes. <laughs> in 2017, the airport introduced their Ambassador Dog program to travelers. With long wait times and delayed flights, the dogs relieved tension often felt at the airport. We started to realize that you know, people come to the airport um, with some anxiety and some stress. Either they've, they've been up late the night before or they've gotten up early, they have some children in tow, they haven't eaten properly, maybe they're afraid of flying. The idea originally started as a pilot project with caring canines as they weren't sure how passengers would react. But ever since, the pups have been a huge success. We had overwhelming response from the public as well as staff here at the airport. So. Um, yeah, we decided to uh, go ahead and work with the city. The dogs are a hit among children visiting the airport and in some cases have been the reason they board the flight. We've had a girl last week, she was four years old and she was crying underneath the seats um, in the passenger uh, boarding area and Jeepster walked right up, comforted her, and um, her parents were also thankful that they were able to get her on the aircraft. Currently, the dogs are only at the airport a few days a week, but with their popularity, YLW is looking to change that. It was uh, almost full-time in 2017 pre-COVID, and then obviously uh, we had to shut it down. But they're, they're back now, and as time goes on, we'll slowly start to build the program again back to where it was. We'd like to see them here seven days a week. The next time you come down to the Kelowna International Airport, there's a chance you might run into these furry friends. Jasmine King, Global News, Kelowna. I would enjoy that. Yeah, very attentive in that last shot. I bet they were waiting for treats is what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, if you are um, flying off somewhere, you're going to miss out on some good weather here on the South Coast, Christy. Yeah, really, for the first time this year. So we've got a surge in warmth that a lot of people will be enjoying. Just make sure you're taking care of yourself, water, sunscreen, all those things that we haven't needed a lot of over the last little while. Mm -hmm. So the heat uh, will really take, uh, take effect sort of over the weekend, Saturday, but particularly Sunday and Monday, where we're talking about areas away from the water in the low 30s, potentially, and areas near the water, we're talking about high 20s. So enjoy the warmth. Uh, but we're certainly on flood watch, so make sure you're staying tuned over the next few days because, of course, that heat may be extended in terms of the length of time that we'll see it and, of course, the numbers for the daytime high. So we'll keep you posted. All, All right. right. Thanks, Christy. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks, everyone, for watching. Hope you have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Night, all.